You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you're a 415er, you're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415, hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? The 415ers podcast is back, as always, three times a week, Monday, today, Wednesday, and, of course, Friday on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy with you. Mark, what is up, my man? How are you? I'm just recovering after a wild deadline day in the NFL. <laughs> you don't get to say that all too often. It felt like an, a Major League Baseball trade deadline more than a football one. Yeah, I don't know if the Niners are responsible for some of that, Mark. The fact that they went out and got Christian McCaffrey, it seemed like that was one of the first big dominoes to fall, and then yeah. everyone just kind of falled in the steps of Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, Niners took a big swing, and then you know some of the other competitive teams that think they have a chance to, you know, maybe uh, win a, a playoff game or two. We're like, well, we got to make some moves too. And then you know it just kind of kept trickling and snowballing, and eventually, what ten deals on deadline day? That doesn't even include the few days leading up to deadline day. There were other teams active before then, but just ten deals on deadline day, which is an NFL record. So an interesting, an interesting deadline day for sure across the NFL. Yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty incredible. I, I think that uh, up until deadline day, the other biggest trade that I saw, Mark, was the Baltimore Ravens going out and getting mm-hmm. Roquan Smith, the NFL's leading tackler from Chicago. But then, of course, one of Kyle Shanahan's disciples on deadline day goes out and gets potentially a better linebacker, uh, outside linebacker Bradley Chubb from the Denver Broncos and Mike McDaniel. So the Dolphins pick up a nice edge rusher and one of the better defenders in football. So folks are wheeling and dealing, Mark. And um, I don't know about you if there was a move that that stood out, but to me that was that was kind of surprising. You don't tend to see a whole lot of first-round picks being sent around on trade deadline day, but that was certainly one of them. Yeah, I think what this shows me at least, you know, just in general, all the trades, each individual trade means different things. I know we'll talk about Jeff Wilson Jr. That means probably Elijah Mitchell is going to be back. The Niners are confident that he's not going to miss more time than they expected. But I think in general, what these deals mean across the NFL is that the teams agree with us and everyone else talking about this league, specifically in the NFC. It's wide open right now. There are so many teams that actually could legitimately say we have a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. So as a result, with so many teams alive still, um, I feel like a lot of teams were encouraged or maybe even pressured to go out and try to make a deal to to help their chances. So um, you can say what you want about the AFC with the Bills and the Chiefs. Those are the two top dogs by a pretty wide margin. But in the NFC, it's pretty open. So uh, I think that probably factored into why we had so many deals. Yeah, I mean, Ross Tucker was on with Stanley and Guru on 95.7 The Game yesterday and mentioned the Niners within kind of that second tier of teams. Everyone basically in the NFC outside of Philadelphia has a chance at this point. Uh, you know, they are 7-0. They are undefeated. They deservedly are at the top. But a tier two team of, you know, Minnesota, Dallas, and San Francisco, that's a position where you want to be in and where a big splash like Christian McCaffrey and um, they made a deal yesterday, like you mentioned, trading Jeff Wilson Jr. to 
the Miami Dolphins. So reuniting him with Mike McDaniel for the 2023 fifth round pick that um, was a space that they sent in the Christian McCaffrey deal. So they do regain a little bit of capital there. Um, but, you know, Jeff Wilson Jr. was certainly a, a quality 49er for his time here and now gets to reunite with a guy that maybe was responsible for a lot of his success in the running game in, in Mike McDaniel. So, you know, the 49ers are right now with the running back room, assuming that Elijah Mitchell is going to be back after the bye, which Kyle Shanahan did say he would be a few weeks back. He was on track after the MCL injury he suffered earlier this season. So you got Christian McCaffrey, you got Elijah Mitchell, um, you got Debo Samuel maybe coming out of the backfield. That is a very interesting running back room now for the 49ers, Mark. And the rotating door of backs that continue to lead in rushing each year for the 49ers is likely to continue because they've had a leading rusher now five straight years. And with Jeff Wilson Jr. being gone, who was on track to be the first to do it twice, uh, now Christian McCaffrey's probably going to fill that role. Yeah, you would imagine. Probably it won't be, you know, a an incredible amount just because he got here mid season, but yeah, I, that was probably, that would probably be the, the most likely outcome. Um, what, what is interesting is, you know, Jeff Wilson jr. The entire Niners team has been singing his praises really for most of the season, but specifically it feels like the last month or so, one of the gr- gr- uh, best people in the locker room always has just an incredible attitude and his teammates absolutely love him. I mean, everything we hear about him from other people is, is just nothing but the best. Um, and it seemed like this is a deal that also has his best interests in mind. A lot of times, you know, around deadlines, you you always hear players, you know, media, everyone else talk about how this is a business. You know, you just got to go wherever, you know, your team ships you off to and you got to deal with it. But um, according to Lynch, Jeff Wilson Jr. came up to him and, and said that he knew most likely that with the Christian McCaffrey deal, with Elijah Mitchell returning, that his snaps were likely going to decrease and most likely pretty significantly. And he said if there was an opportunity for him to go to another team where he is probably needed more, he'd be interested in that. And not only did the Niners do that, where uh, you know in Miami, he'll probably slot in as the number two with his former teammate Raheem Mostert. That might even be close to a 50-50 split. We don't quite know how it's going to work. So not only a better opportunity in terms of number of touches but also he goes somewhere very familiar in the fact that the head coach down there as we've already talked about is Mike McDaniel who was heavily involved in the run game for the 49ers over the last number of years while both Mike McDaniel and Jeff Wilson Jr. were there so I think a win-win the Niners they get rid of a piece or on a place where they have a lot of depth I know a lot of Niner fans saying you know, the, the Niners running backs just consistently get injured. You need all the help you can get. Um, but I think considering that they have Elijah Mitchell coming back, this move to me also signals at least some confidence in one of their rookie running backs, if not both, uh, in Ty Davis-Price along with Jordan Mason. Um, and then, of course, you have Christian McCaffrey and, and Debo Samuel can take uh, some carries out of the backfield as well. So I think a win-win for both the 49ers and Jeff Wilson Jr., the Niners get a pick back, as you mentioned, kind of replenishing their 2023 draft stockpile. And then the uh, the Dolphins, they get a guy who who is certainly likely happy to be there and a guy who uh, everyone in the locker room will love. Well, maybe most importantly, Mark, based on how the 49ers have used fifth round picks in the past, <laughs> this, this might be one of the more valuable picks they get back in a draft because, you know, even going back to this year, Samuel Womack, 
pretty good selection. Diamador Lenore, I know one of your favorites in 2021 out of the University of Oregon. Talano Hufanga that same year from the fellow Pac-12 school USC. Drake Greenlaw in 2019. And, of course, you can't forget about George Kittle, one of the best fifth-round picks in history in 2017. So maybe the strategy, Mark, is... You know, we, we don't actually want these, you know, lower, lower, you know, the middle round picks. We just want to stockpile some fifths and use what we're best at uh, as far as their track record is concerned. Mark. So how many fifth round picks, any team other than the 49ers, how many fifth round picks is worth one first round pick? Because the Niners should just trade <laughs> all of their first round picks for like 10 fifth round picks. Well, based on the amount of starters that are in their lineup right now, I mean, you, you might be able to make the argument that a, a fifth might be equivalent to a second or a third. I mean, <laughs> I, it is interesting, Mark. Uh, ne- up next year, of course, upcoming, they'll have very few picks, but the two picks they do have are in the third as well as the fifth. So maybe there's uh, something we're not seeing here. Well, they actually do have a, a decent amount of 2023 picks. A lot of them, they're not exactly sure yet, just based on compensation. Um, yeah. you, you got the round five from Miami. You got a round seven pick from Denver in a trade last year. You already had a round five. But there's a chance you have a couple third round picks via compensation, another fifth round pick via compensation, a sixth round pick via compensation, a seventh round pick from compensation. So while the Niners won't have any high level picks in the 2023 draft they will have quite a a decent number of picks it's just again not not the greatest value in those picks because they've they've traded those away for other assets already um, but still a decent number of picks and the Niners as you've talked about have proven pretty successful at picking in, in those mid to later rounds Yep, the San Francisco compensations. Uh, that's what they're becoming at this point. <laughs> and, but but it brings it, you know, kind of a larger point into play about sort of the aggressiveness of Shanahan. And I, I think just because of what people see on the field sometimes, that they don't necessarily correlate aggression or, you know, ri- a risk seeking mentality with Kyle Shanahan, the general manager. But what I continue to learn, Mark, and, and I think this trade deadline isn't necessarily um, example A of that, but it, it's along the same lines. Like the general manager, Kyle Shanahan, seems to be very different from the head coach currently. Now, maybe that would be different if he had some you know different pieces in play, but he seems to be a very aggressive decision maker from a front office perspective. And this trade deadline going out and you know, training four picks to get McCaffrey, um, being willing to move off of Jeff Wilson Jr., a guy that had contributed a lot. Um, and of course, even going back a few years, the, the just the sheer amount of, of different guys he's had in the backfield and the amount of moves that he's been willing to make, of course, on deadline day with Trey Lance being the biggest one. Um, I I do see I do see the fact that like Kyle Shanahan and his aggression is is something that I mean, appears to be at this point just a characteristic. Like it's not even, you know, okay, well, maybe he'll go in here, he'll step in the, you know, the deep end at, at this time, but wait, like he seems to be to me appearing to be more of a risk seeking individual than risk averse as a general manager. I think maybe we've seen a little bit of a shift over the last couple of years. I mean, the Trey Lance trade was the first major risk that the team is taken. I mean, the Jimmy Garoppolo acquisition, that's not nearly as risky. You didn't give up anywhere near the, the draft capital. And you were a little more confident of who 
you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was as a quarterback, as you are of whichever rookie quarterback you were selecting in the 2021 NFL draft. So I, I think probably safe to say that Trey Lance, that that move was the biggest risk and, and the first risk the Niners have taken under Kyle Shanahan. But since then, I, I agree. I think they have been a little more aggressive. I think a big part of that is watching what the Los Angeles Rams have done, specifically with their draft picks. We talked about it after the Christian McCaffrey trade. The Niners are kind of following in the, that Rams mold of the, you know, F them picks mentality. Go and get talent and then deal with, you know, the draft issues later. Um, and as we've talked about, the Niners still have a handful of draft picks. So it's not like they're going to be, you know, completely bored come, come draft time next year. But I think we have seen Kyle Shanahan kind of reevaluate what he thinks is the best way to go out and put together a quality team. I think early in his Niners tenure, and a lot of this is, is because of where the team is currently, but early in his Niners tenure, it was about, you know, getting young talent through the draft because he inherited a team that was absolutely terrible. I mean, you're not going to go out when you've won four games the prior year and trade multiple first round picks to get a quarterback. Like that's, it's not what's going to happen what actually Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch admitted to Christian McCaffrey um, when they acquired him was, yeah, we didn't draft you when you were coming out of Stanford because our defense stunk, our offensive line stunk, basically our whole team stunk. We wanted to build a team and then we promised you, you know, whether or not this was in jest, they were joking or not, who knows? And then they said, we'll go and get you later once we have a good foundation and a good team around us. So I, I think this was kind of always the plan, but the success of the Rams kind of pushed the Niners in that direction more as well. I agree. Kyle Shanahan is taking more risks now than he was in the past, but I think a big part of that is the general construction of the team. They're in a position now with a lot of talent in a lot of places that they can afford to take these risks because, one, they want to win a championship, and two, because they know that they have a pretty good team to fall back on if things don't work out perfectly. Um, so so I, I agree with you that there are more risks being taken by the by Shanahan and the 49ers now. Um, but I think it was also somewhat part of their plan from the jump. Yeah, I, no, I, I'm with you. I uh, want to remind everyone to download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. I'm on social at egiddings10. Mark's on social at Mark Randy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. No, I, I, I do want to stay here because you just you kind of got my mind um, moving a little bit. And one thing that I think a lot of people have had an issue with Shanahan about on the field is, you know, maybe he hasn't grown a whole lot. Like th there's been kind of a lot of trends throughout his tenure here that that would suggest that he is a, a, certainly, you know, a different head coach, but kind of a similar play caller. You know, uh, a few weeks ago or last week, actually, we went through kind of his his on script, off script differentiation and how this year it's been not so great when he's off script in previous years. He's been better when he's off script. Um, but large in part, there has there's there's been a difference, right? When he's comfortable, when he's in his zone, he can be effective on the field as a head coach and a play caller. But when things tend to go awry, he hasn't taken as much of a next step as a lot of people would hope for for a head coach in his sixth season. I do think you can make the case now that we have seen growth for Kyle Shanahan in the front office, because like you mentioned, this wasn't really his M.O., 
And whether or not it was supposed to be coming in with a team that needed to fill a lot of different holes, uh, as opposed to one now that is kind of just tinkering with different spots and trying to make upgrades. Um, I, I also think that Kyle Shanahan learned from 2019 where he felt like his team was the best from start to finish, except for, of course, the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl. But maybe he reflects on it and looks at it and says, look, if we were able to go out and make one big splash and, you know, F a pick here and there, maybe that would have been the difference that had gotten us over the top against Kansas City. And this team, to me, is, is not as dominant as the 2019 team. But if Kyle Shanahan is saying this is another year that is open for us to compete for a title, well, we need to go out and spend our draft picks now because maybe we had a chance to do it then. We didn't. And along the lines of Trey Lance, the loss in the Super Bowl probably spurs that draft a uh, draft day trade where they're spending three first round picks where now he's showing us that, okay, I understand where I've made mistakes in the past as maybe a talent evaluator, as maybe making decisions, but I'm going to be able to evolve and grow as a decision maker at a higher level than just the field to put myself and the fans in a position where this team, you know, can compete for a championship and can compete in a year where, like you've said, is weaker all around, especially in the NFC. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think part of this also is, you know, I, you know, th there's a quote from, from John Lynch that kind of spurred this whole conversation. You know, John Lynch said, Kyle Shanahan jokes around and calls me trader John in jest because he's usually the one pushing them uh, for trades. Uh, and if we ever traded everything that guy has wanted, we'd never have any picks is what John Lynch said of Kyle Shanahan. And I think part of this uh, and part of that conversation and part of what you just talked about there is also, you know, everything that like Kyle Shanahan says, oh, my, you got to go get me. So -and -so. you got to go and get me this receiver. Could you imagine him in this offense? Like, of course, everyone would want like a, a star receiver or whoever it is, a star player, a star running back, whether it was, you know, someone in the past before they acquired Christian McCaffrey. There's a difference in like, saying something like that and kind of maybe joking around with your general manager like could you imagine him wearing the red and gold versus actually sitting down discussing you know the capital that it would take to get him I mean you could it's obviously on a totally different level but if you've played fantasy football and you've made a fantasy football trade you could think you had a great a great you know trade package for yourself you send it off and then the opposing team accepts it immediately. And suddenly you're going into second guessing yourself. Like, why did he accept it so quickly? I thought it was great for me. Is, is this great for him? Like, and then you're convinced that it was a bad trade for yourself. I feel like there's there's a, a gigantic difference in kind of maybe in jest and passing saying, like, could you imagine this guy on our team versus actually going out and making the deal? Because once you're, uh, you know, you, you see what it's going to take to make that trade happen. It, it certainly uh, can, can do a lot to, to change your mind in terms of whether or not it's worth it. Um, but I will say Shanahan, of course, for all the reasons you just laid out is doing that more and more often now. Um, but you can kind of see where maybe, a, I don't know, a storyline can kind of get misconstrued based on the way that he might say something to, to John Lynch, uh, kind of in jest and, and joking versus how he might actually feel about that trade if it were getting close to happening. Um, but I, I do agree that the team is kind of going in that direction where they're more willing to do it more often now. But the difference is he gets to make those decisions. 
Like most head coaches will say, like you like you mentioned, oh, I would what I would do with Justin Jefferson. Oh, what I would do with you know this big bruising defensive tackle. Uh, but Kyle Shanahan is also the guy that then gets to step into the war room and say, you know what? Let's pull the trigger on that. Like that's the difference. So to me, it it is noteworthy that John Lynch is saying something like, and and of course it, it's mentioned specifically in jest, but we'd never have any, any picks. Well, outside of compensation next year, uh, you wouldn't have very many picks if, if they weren't coming back. So, and, and who knows, maybe that's the reason why Kyle Shanahan is being as aggressive as he is right now, because he knows he'll be getting picks back. But I, I just do think there is maybe a little bit of a shift that we're starting to see. And the NFL is a copycat league. We understand this, the Rams, the fact that they win a Super Bowl, and now teams are, you know, at, I don't think it's a coincidence that after the Rams and their style of, of, uh, roster formation and, and contending after they win a Super Bowl the very next year we're seeing a record on trade deadline day I don't think there's a coincidence in that and so maybe Kyle Shanahan not to say he's being a copycat but he is recognizing where football is going and he needs to get on that train if he wants to give his team the best chance to win well and, and another example kind of a, of you know the flip side of you know taking these risks we talked about the Dolphins specifically in their acquisition of Jeff Wilson Jr. and a little bit about Bradley Chubb as well. Think about what they did with the 49ers assets that landed the 49ers Trey Lance. Again, we're talking about one side of the risk, but you can also look look at the other side. The Niners took a giant risk in trading three first round picks for the right to select Trey Lance third overall in the 2021 NFL draft. The Miami Dolphins now have traded away or used all of those Niners picks. They traded that 12th overall pick that the Niners gave them in that 2021 NFL draft. They packaged that with another first rounder, moved up to sixth overall, uh, and selected Jalen Waddell, who is absolutely exploding now in his second year in the league. They then, this most recent offseason, yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, you just saw Evan do his his best uh, Waddle impression, his his goal line or his touchdown celebration. <laughs> it's very good. It's my favorite in the league. <laughs> and then this most recent offseason, they traded the 49ers uh, number 29 overall 2022 first round pick, along with a second round pick, a fourth, two fourth round picks, and a sixth round pick in the 2023 draft for Tyreek Hill. And then, of course, most recently, they acquired Bradley Chubb. They gave the 49ers 2023 first round pick, and they also sent Chase Edmonds. They got back um, a 2025 fifth round selection as well, and they got Bradley Chubb. So the Dolphins used the Niners' three first round picks, a few other assets of their own, to get Jalen Waddle, Tyree Kill, and Bradley Chubb. So that's kind of the other side of this risk seeking, risk averse Kyle Shanahan. Look what the Dolphins did with all that capital. A lot of times you think of teams like the Dolphins making a trade like that, all right, they're loading up on young talent. They're going to own the draft for the next few years. But the Dolphins leaders have decided, no, they did use one of those picks to help get them a rookie in Jalen Waddle. But beyond that, they're getting veterans in Tyreek Hill and Bradley Chubb. I think the Dolphins have done a phenomenal job, but kind of an interesting thing to look at when you consider the risks the Niners are taking and how a different team might go about um, capitalizing on that risk that the Niners took. I also think it's interesting too, because 
uh, Chris Greer, who is the general manager for Miami, he's been there since 2016. So he has been, of course, a part of this more than Mike McDaniel has. But the moment that a Kyle Shanahan disciple gets to Miami is the year that they decide, well, all right, this is going to be the time where we cash in those chips. Um, another thing, too, I was just looking at, at Greer's resume and he actually started in New England, a place that does not do this at yeah. all. Uh, in fact, they would prefer to have an abundance of fifth round picks as opposed to trading away the majority of their capital to move up. They, of course, generally move back in drafts more often than not. So I just I just think it's interesting how we're seeing an evolution of how teams like to use their picks. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was the one who famously, you know, traded away Herschel Walker for umpteen picks and just said, you know what? Hey, we're going to we're just going to take our chances and we're going to take more chances at the lottery. If we hit, we hit. If not, then so be it. But nowadays it's like, all right, well, no, now we're going to use you know, the, the draft lottery to go get to, to trade up for the Powerball or, or all that, that we think is going to make a difference. And um, the, the Dolphins have absolutely done that to to near perfection this year. And it's it's resulted in a, a big season for them. Um, as for the 49ers, hopefully they can certainly have a big year this year. And right now at four and four mark, it seems like they're in a pretty good position to do that. Uh, and they're heading into their bye week. Like, did, do you, did you st- are you on the side of the fence? I know we didn't talk about this, but I was just curious. George Kittle, after the game on Sunday, kind of hinted at, you know, okay, well, we are going into our bye, but we feel like we found something. Like, I'm, I'm kind of sad in a way that, you know, we don't play next week because we feel like we've gotten back into a rhythm. Um, are, are you more on the George Kittle camp? Or I feel like the other side, which is most of people that would say, no, 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 no. No, no. Let, let's go to the board. Let's go to the bye week four and four. We are back on track against the Rams. This is kind of what happened last year without the bye week. But now we get two weeks to get healthy. We get two weeks to get right. And then we can make the final sprint to the last, you know, 10 weeks of the season. I feel like uh, it's it's kind of a fine line because you when you're playing well, you want to keep playing. Um, but also, uh, I feel like this is the perfect time for a bye. I mean, I think if you were to rewind to when the schedule was released most nfl teams are praying for what like a week eight week nine week ten bye you want the middle of the season because you know if you have a week 13 bye you are going to be struggling like from week nine to week 13 because you have been playing for three months straight without a bye you get a nice bye in the middle and, you know, it one, it kind of splits your season into two. And I think it's easier to kind of digest and, and think about what to move uh, and what to improve on and what you need to do better. But it also just in terms of rest and recovery, having it right in the middle makes your two halves of a season, I think, easier because you have that nice buy and, and that midpoint. I, I think it was Michael Irvin who was on 95.7 The Game earlier this week and said having a week nine buy is 100 percent an advantage every team wants this spy so while i think you can probably feel george kittle being like we're playing well finally we had our best game of the year we want to keep playing that's understood but i think the the greater good is the buy is getting healthy you have a lot of bodies it seems like that will be coming back for week 10 against the chargers when the niners host los angeles uh at levi's um uh, so I, I think it's certainly an advantage. Maybe the Niners would 
would want to be playing another week or two and then the bye because they are, you know, feeling good about themselves. But I think the positives of the bye this week outweigh um, what the positives would be if the team were, were still playing. Yeah, I also do think that's a little bit situational, like based on where the Niners were the last you know month or so. And really just how their first half of their season has kind of unfolded has been wild. They've just jam packed like <laughs> three years worth of uh, material <laughs> and content into like eight weeks. But I also think that, I mean, who knows, like the, the, the Saints have their buy in week 14, like they have one of the later buys of this season. And, and who knows? I mean, maybe at that point of the year, their season will be over. Maybe they catch fire midway through the year and having a bye week is like the perfect time for them. I just feel like for this team and this year, I do agree week nine is the perfect place to have the bye because of all the injuries you sustain the first eight weeks of the season that you're ideally going to be getting back after the bye week, as well as how it felt like the Niners were kind of stumbling to that bye week line. They were they were hoping for and needing it after consecutive losses to Atlanta and then Kansas City. And then you go into L.A. In that second half, you play about as perfect a brand of football as I think we've seen in a while for the 49ers. And then you get that sigh of, okay, now we can yeah. reset and hopefully carry that second half specifically through the rest of the year. Well, just to play devil's advocate with, with George Kittle here for a moment. Let's say the Niners lose in Los Angeles. Uh, it was a close game. The team didn't play poorly, but they lose in Los Angeles. They go into the bye at three and five. Would you rather go into the bye losing three straight games, including to your division rival, you fall what into third or fourth place in in the division at the at the moment of the bye three and five, you're feeling terrible about yourselves. Would you want to sit on a three game losing streak for two weeks, or would you rather go in four and four, maybe feel better about yourself, maybe you know scratching to play a little bit because you are playing well, but have to sit out a bye? I feel like I would rather have the bye when I'm feeling good, like they are now, as opposed to being three and five struggling. And having to sit and think and stew on a three-game losing streak for two weeks, I feel like it's better to being to, to, to be feeling a little bit better about yourself than than having a buy when you're in the midst of a three-game losing streak. Although you know the buy might be well timed to kind of you know take stock of what you need to do better in the in the middle of a three-game losing streak, I still feel like it might be better for the the overall health of the team to go into a break like that feeling good about yourself. Yeah, I'm with you. And a reminder to everyone to download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast. Five stars are appreciated. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy coming at you three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Well, while, while we're on the topic of, you know, the Niners and, and kind of this this break, um, look, I, I know that, that Jimmy Garoppolo gets much maligned, and a lot of it is deservedly so. But, and I, I kind of want to do this, now because i'm not exactly sure if we'll get to do it again mark just just based on the way that the uh -uh. garoppolo and and the trend the, the trends of his career have tended to to shift up and so down you're telling me we're at a peak right now and, and you can feel a valley coming is that what you're telling me uh if you told me that valley was coming i would absolutely believe you <laughs> but fair enough but but the point remains that that jimmy garoppolo is he's quietly putting together like a pretty damn good season for the 49ers right now. And um, he's thrown four touch, uh, two touchdowns in each of his last four games. And 
I, I just want to throw these numbers at you and, and see what you think, see what the people think. I'm not saying that, that Jimmy Garoppolo is all of a sudden a great, you know, elite top five quarterback in the league. All I'm saying is that these numbers, and I'm going to go through uh, a couple of pro football focus statistics along with some baseline ones. So we're going to have quarterback rating. We're going to have big time throws, which are based on throws into tight windows, big situations, uh, generally the best quarterbacks in the lead league lead in that category along with turnover worthy throws which is something that is generally attributed to jimmy garoppolo sometimes unfairly as well as bad throw percentage which is something sort of um created to figure out how many throws are just you know not on target mm -hmm. dirted bad this that and the other so first big time throws this year jimmy garoppolo has made 11 of them that is the same amount as joe burrow that is more than jalen hurts of course, on the 7-0 Eagles. It's more than Kirk Cousins, a quarterback that Garoppolo is always kind of linked with just due to his head coach, along with Tua Tagovailoa. We're talking about the amount of weapons that the Dolphins have in Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo's got more big-time throws than Tua this season. Quarterback rating, 100.8 right now for Jimmy Garoppolo. That is better than Aaron Rodgers, who granted has not been playing that well this year, but is a two-time MVP in back-to-back -back years. Lamar Jackson, who had a solid, very, very good start to the season for the Baltimore Ravens. It's kind of waned a little bit lately, along with Justin Herbert, who everyone has, has kind of crowned early in his career as being the next, you know, Josh Allen, Mahomes-type quarterback. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo's got a better quarterback rating than all three of those guys. Now, okay, you're saying, all right, all right, I get it. You're kind of patting stats, this, that, and the other. Well, if you look at the, the, the areas where Jimmy G struggles, like his goal line interception against Kansas City, turnover-worthy throws – this year, he has fewer turnover-worthy throws than Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And now those guys can make up for it with the big-time plays that they make. But if you're worried about Jimmy Garoppolo giving up the football, it doesn't happen as much as you might think. And finally, bad throw percentage. The only man in the league with a worse bad throw percentage than Jimmy Garoppolo this year is Geno Smith which may say something about the Seattle Seahawks quarterback and how well he's playing this year, but also to me says a little bit about Jimmy Garoppolo and him not putting the 49ers in as many disadvantageous positions through the first eight weeks as he has in years past. So I'm just throwing those numbers at you. I'm not saying Jimmy G is going to be an all pro this year. All I'm saying is that Garoppolo has quietly put together a better season than a lot of people I think are giving him credit for heading into the bye week. In general, I agree. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is playing better. I mean, he's on on pace to be not quite as solid. Uh, it looks like as the 2019 year when, when the team went to the Super Bowl. Uh, if you know, he's he's about halfway through the season. He's he only played in in seven of the games, six starts, but but seven games, eleven touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, if you just extrapolate that out, he's going to throw for more touchdowns than he did last year. He'll throw for fewer interceptions, but but of course things can change. So I think there's there's no doubt that he's off to a better start to the season than he was last year, the year before, and it's probably not quite as good, uh, not quite as uh, I don't know high powered as the 2019 offense. He's likely going to turn the ball over fewer times than he did back in 2019, but he's not going to throw for as many yards. He's not going to throw for as many touchdowns. He threw for 27 touchdowns back in 2019. I think I think people forget that. But I, I am curious, though, what the Christian McCaffrey effect will be on Jimmy Garoppolo, because and look, the Rams are not 
world beaters by any means. I actually, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year, Me but either. I mean, that, that was by, by metrics, the fifth best game that Jimmy Garoppolo has played as a 49er that game against the Rams. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he's playing, he's playing really well. I do also think I'm not just, you know, all on one fell swoop, wiping away all of those stats you just laid out. Cause there's obviously, there's obviously something to them, but I also think that, the Kyle Shanahan offense kind of has a way of of tricking some of those metrics. I'm not saying that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't deserve to be, you know, up there with some of those other quarterbacks that you listed. He's certainly not in the class of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, and I know you didn't say that. Um, but I mean, with with the way that Kyle Shanahan runs this offense, with the the quick throws out to the flat to Debo Samuel to Christian McCaffrey to screens to George Kittle to Kyle Uzcheck being involved, um, I feel like the, the the numbers can kind of be misleading a bit when you just consider the raw data. Um, I think if you look at the games a little bit more, you you see those differences stick out. Um, now, saying all that, I agree with you, Jimmy Garoppolo, and I, I said that at the at the top, he's he's having one of the better seasons of his career, and it's fantastic news for the 49ers because if he wasn't, uh, the team might be three and five. Who knows? Maybe they're two and six. You never know. Maybe they don't beat the Chiefs either time if if Jimmy Garoppolo or pardon me, the, the Rams either time if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't playing well. Uh, I would exercise a little bit of caution when talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. I have been pleasantly surprised. I think he's throwing the ball down the field better. Who knows if if maybe his his shoulder injury that that uh, was bothering him in the playoffs last year maybe it was affecting his his deep ball accuracy for longer than we thought. It seems like he's throwing the ball one farther, which is good. He he hasn't always had the best arm strength, but two more accurate. It hasn't always resulted in catches. Uh, there's been some drops deep down the field, uh, but I think Garoppolo has been better there. Uh, again, there's there's been a number of times where he has missed wide open targets over the middle of the field on what you would consider for an NFL quarterback relatively easy throws. Um, but for every one of those, there's what maybe four or five really good accurate throws over the middle. Um, he's he's certainly playing better, but I would exercise just a little bit of caution when we talk about some of the other quarterbacks that have some of those similar advanced numbers as he does because i think the shanahan offense has an ability to kind of inflate those numbers just a little bit oh no no they they certainly do um but isn't that the point of every single head coach to do for their quarterback 100 percent. yeah okay so so we're watching and look I, i'm not saying jimmy garoppolo is in the class of some of those guys and i i would hope that uh the, the context of those stats would would give you that but okay so like we're we're, we're watching the kansas city game right Mm-hmm. How how many of those throws do you think Patrick Mahomes is making down the field against well, you, the 49ers? You mean in specific to that game, how many throws yes. down the field did he make? Yes. Mm. Probably like 10, right? Roughly 10. I was going to say like five. Okay. Well, 15 plus, uh, 15 plus yards, Patrick Mahomes was like 10 for 11 against the 49ers. But the majority of those throws are to wide open receivers. Now, that was a bad game for the 49ers defense, but there were very few tight window throws that Patrick Mahomes had to make, although he did make um, down the field. Tua Tungavailoa, who's a player that currently leads the quarter, leads the, the league in quarterback rating. He's 112. 
is throwing to guys down the field. That's true. But Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell have some of the most separation of any wide receiver duo in football. Patrick Mahomes is throwing down the field to players that are open. Um, there are players like Jalen Hurts. I don't know if you I don't know if you had a chance to check out the Steelers game. He made a couple of great down the throw, down the field throws to, to AJ Brown, turning into touchdowns. The majority of their offense is built on creating space intermediate to underneath. A lot of screen passes set up tight ends, running backs. Like I, I, I understand that we get lost sometimes in what Kyle Shanahan does for Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think we also need to take a, a bigger, a little bit of a step back sometimes and think about what opposing offenses do for their quarterbacks. That doesn't mean that Jimmy Garoppolo is, is a top 10 quarterback, but it does mean that the goal in football is to put your player in as good a position as possible in Jimmy G, who, by the way, has been playing behind an offensive line that has been large, large in part for the majority of this year in the bottom half of the league when it comes to grades all around. They have moved up. They've been playing better this week. They did not allow many pressures against the Rams but they have been an offensive line that's simply banged up. So he doesn't have the best group in front of him, and I just feel like he's been performing well enough for me to uh, sort, sort of explain or put it into perspective for some people who, similar to you, have watched Jimmy Garoppolo for a long time, don't really believe in him as a Super Bowl-caliber quarterback. I don't necessarily either. All I'm saying is that if they're going to be successful this season, Jimmy Garoppolo will have to continue to play at this level and – he might even have another level if Christian McCaffrey can continue to play at that rate, at that place that he did against the Rams. Because, look, having one of, like you said, having a, a guy you can simply dump the ball off to a yard behind the line of scrimmage and have him go get 12, that's a weapon that not every quarter, that's a place that not every quarterback has in the league. Mm -hmm. And now Jimmy Garoppolo, we've seen one game with it. So to, to say that he's maybe not on pace to be at 2019, I understand statistically touchdowns. Um, yeah, he may not throw as many, but I do think that there is a chance that this year with the rest of the way, now having his quote unquote OTAs and training camp period out of the way, there is a chance that Jimmy G could be the best version of himself this year. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I do have a question for you. I'm not sure if you'll be able to find the statistic. You mentioned Mahomes in that game against the Niners on what throws 15 or more yards down the field was 10 for 11. How many such throws did Jimmy Garoppolo have in that game? If, if you're able to find that stat, um, that that would be interesting because I feel like where where things do change, and, and you talked about turnover worthy plays and, and turnover worthy throws, uh, and you know the rate at which different quarterbacks do that, and that's all well and good. But I think where there is a difference in terms of how these quarterbacks are graded and how we might think of them in terms of the stats, it is whether you know every throw the average throw that these quarterbacks are making are not equal jimmy garoppolo's average throw has a, a i'm sure and i don't have the stats in front of me but i'm sure they'd back they'd back this up are you know have, have a much shorter depth of target than the average patrick mahomes throw than the average josh allen throw and i know that's factored into some of those statistics but um you, you have to take that into account as well when you're thinking about all of this. I do agree with you that, that Garoppolo is, is playing much better, but I would argue, you know, what, what makes up for the difference in how we think about Josh Allen versus Jimmy Garoppolo when some of their advanced metrics are relatively similar. And I would argue it's the offenses that Kyle Shanahan and Sean McDermott run. 
I think that that factors into it a lot. So I, I do think we we have to to take those things into account. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, it doesn't separate right at, at 15 yards, but of course, 10 to, to 19 yards. Jimmy Garoppolo is six of nine with two touchdowns, quarterback rating of 144. But once you get beyond 20 yards, yeah. he's only one for two. He's not taking as many risks down the field. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes, if you're looking at his day and what you know what he was able to do against the, the 49ers, then you know he's he's looking at okay, 10 to 19. He is he is dicing you up. Like he is eight of ten. And he's got two touchdowns. He also had an interception, um, but 20 yards or more, two passes, two completions, two first downs. Um, Patrick Mahomes, yeah. So, like, they they took the same amount of deep shots on 20 or more yards, but obviously you're going to trust Mahomes to be able to go out and make a play for you uh, more than Jimmy Garoppolo. And although I I do think technically one of those passes was the Juju Smith-Schuster 57-yard touchdown. but you know it, it is it is what it is, Mark. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I uh, I think that it's interesting to see how how this offense is going to be different. You know, after the bye with Christian McCaffrey with, with Debo Samuel likely back, I I do think there's a chance that we see a more efficient Jimmy Garoppolo than we did in the first half of the season. And all in all, it was a relatively positive first half of the season for Jimmy Garoppolo. So I agree, there is a chance that we could see, you know, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo's best self. Uh, he he's fallen short, you know, in his career prior to now, but but maybe with with a you know a new weapon in McCaffrey, you know, it, it starts telling a different story. But I guess only time will tell. Yeah, just just do me a favor and don't hold him to the standard that you do all the rest of the quarterbacks in the league. That's uh, that's not really how this this works. Um, <laughs> do what? <laughs> what? Keep, no, no I, I'm just. I mean, no, no one, no one considers Jimmy Garoppolo to be an elite quarterback. So I mean, no one is expecting that. Oh, it seems like you do, though. It seems like you do when when he doesn't make the plays that you want him to make. Okay, well, we we could continue talking about this for for a long time. I know we're on a bit of a time crunch here, so. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for that. You were the one who uh, asked the question. Okay, so I do want to finish this episode, um, by by mentioning a, a big piece of the 49ers organization that passed away, um yesterday and it was john McVay at the age of 91 49ers executive from 1980 to 1996 of course was very famous for collaborating at the beginning of bill walsh's tenure helping the 49ers become the dynasty of the 80s and into the early 90s um a five-time super bowl executive he was i believe named executive of the year in 1989 his strength was was highly touted as far as talent evaluation and really, at least from what I was reading, Mark being the guy who kind of was the glue between Walsh and ownership along with uh, the rest of the team. Uh, Bill Walsh talked about in his biography genius uh, from 2008 that, you know, John McFay was one of the guys that could really push him and whose, um, you know, whose work and whose, interjection into what the franchise did was very valued by Walsh. So, you know, I just do want to mention John McVay and his passing on the pod for those uh, old school 49ers fans that are tuning in. Yes. uh, Rest in peace to John McVay thoughts to the Niners family, to the McVay family, of course, John McVay, uh, who was 91 years old, uh, the grandfather of Rams coach, Sean McVay. So, so again, thoughts out to, to all the McVay's Uh, John McVay. He was, you know, Helped lead the 49ers in, in those golden years. He helped identify and 
and draft some incredible players. I mean, he was involved with drafting Joe Montana out of Notre Dame, Ronnie Lott, Jerry Rice, Charles Haley. He helped acquire Steve Young and Fred Dean. These are legends, San Francisco legends, 49er legends, uh, certainly a gigantic part of the 49ers franchise that won those five Super Bowls. Um, so again, rest in peace to John McVay. Thoughts to the 49er family, to the McVay family, and uh, we certainly hope that everyone uh, can uh, heal and, and, and recover in this tough time. Also also kind of cool, Mark, a, a story that, that I saw when I was just kind of reading. Um, the fact that John McVay, like, so he was a head coach before he joined the 49ers as an yeah. executive uh, with the New York Giants, and he was – course the head coach that was involved in depending on which side of the fan base you're on the <laughs> miracle at the meadowlands or the fumble in 1978 uh which was towards the end of that regular season mcveigh's team ends up going six and ten that year he gets the blame placed at his feet despite his offensive coordinator being the one that called for a run play with the clock dwindling down all they had to do was sit on the ball the game would be over they're up by five instead his offensive coordinator runs a play running back coughs it up herm edwards you play to win the game goes down the other way and uh scoop and scores it for a touchdown and everyone in new york is very very sad everyone in philadelphia is very happy and mcveigh gets all the blame so he goes from that of course, to five Super Bowls. And I'm sure that a lot of the experiences that he felt being the scapegoat for something that wasn't his fault helped turn into a success in San Francisco um, and was able to learn from that. So I don't know. I, I thought that was a pretty cool story and one that I saw pretty frequently on most of the um, uh, the the pieces written about him. That is interesting. I mean, just imagine if, say, the, the miracle at the Meadowlands never happened, maybe the Giants don't fire John McVay um, maybe the Niners dynasty that won five Super Bowls doesn't happen. I mean, you never know. I mean, it, it, like, the miracle of the Meadowlands could have been a direct lead in to the 49ers dynasty. We, we will never know, but uh, certainly rest in peace to John McVay, a, a legendary figure in, in football in the 49ers organization, and he will be missed. No doubt. No doubt. Well, that wraps up this episode of the 415ers. We appreciate you sticking around. Make sure to download, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Evan Giddings and Mark Granny will be back with you on Friday and then into the official bye week for the 49ers. So um, thanks for sticking around, and we'll talk to you next time.